0: This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. Join your hosts as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things kings of war.
1: Welcome to
2: Countercharge. I'm Paul Collins. I'm Luke Schaefer. I'm Andrew Whitehead.
3: I'm rough Enough, And I'm Matt Croger. Welcome. And tonight we're talking about the new Aussie Masters. How's this Aussie Masters working? How does it compare to other parts of the world? I mean, we all know that Aussie Masters is the pinnacle, you know, maybe America's second and those masters in the UK are number three. Maybe the rest of the world will come up with one at uh, some stage or another. But we're gonna we're going to have a good chat of kind of where it's come from, where it's gone to, and maybe a little bit about where it's going compare with how it differs but first of all we need to do some introductions because we've got a couple of people who haven't been on the time uh, who haven't been on the show before in particular so let's start with you Paul Collins. Uh, Paul you're from I think am I right in that you're from the Blue Mountains so west of Sydney for for those that want to know.
1: I grew up in Sydney and moved up to the mountains about five years ago so yeah I'm, I'm a Sydney Sydney boy but um, I've got a slightly different um, gaming origin story than most people. I've never played Warhammer, never really played fantasy games. I, I started out oh, when I was early teenager playing Ancients and Napoleonics and played only those things for about 25-odd years. Recently, a couple of my mates started playing Kings of War and I sort of took it up from there. I'm really enjoying it. I think it's a, a great game. It's got a lot of the things I look for in game. There's a it's easy to pick up but hard to master. There's a great community, great painting emphasis within the community, and modelling emphasis, which I really like. So it's both you know a mix of competitive gaming, friendly gaming, a little bit of narrative, bit of painting, something for something for everyone.
3: Yeah, so coming in through that more I guess historical aspect, uh, I've, you actually come a few that come in via the the ancients pathway is, is there anything in particular that's like similar to something like Ancients? How, how does it compare with a game like that?
1: I think the key, the key similarity is that traditional ancients games were always rank and flank games. Whereas, you know, sci-fi from my understanding has always sort of been more of a skirmish or a squad based game. So there's a lot of similarities in ancients to Kings of war. Um, I, I, personally went to squad-based games in the middle there and played Legion and um, Bolt Action and Flames of War for a long time before stepping back into Ranks and Flanks. It's sort of been probably 10 years since I've played a Ranks and Flanks game before Kings of War.
3: Yeah, okay. And not having played fantasy games though, were you involved kind of genre-wise in any other way? Like did you read fantasy or is it just because mates were playing a fantasy game and that was purely it?
1: I've always been into fantasy um, books, so, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings and, you know, all that stuff when I was a kid. And I've always loved the fantasy setting, played Dungeons and Dragons and stuff for years. But yeah, I've never just, it just happened that way. I don't think I've ever had friends who were into fantasy games or what have you. But it's always been an, an interest in and a genre I've liked. It's just never sort of eventuated in gaming.
3: Yeah, okay. And do you still dabble in the more historical games or are you a kind of a a one-game-man-at-a-time kind of guy?
1: I'm a a one-at-a-time. I still play a little bit of bolt action. That was my last game before I moved to Kings of War. But, you know, for a variety of different reasons, I I don't really play any other historical games at the moment or any other games for that matter, really.
3: You're allowed to cast shade on here if you need to, mate. So anyone you want to call out as driving you out of a community or...?
1: (laughs) No, not yet. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) <laughs>
3: uh thanks for that and next up we have andrew whitehead who uh, some of you may have heard already is the uh direct misfire lost their lost a member in hue and they decided they needed to get a decent player who was reputable on the podcast and andy being the number one fan now steps into the hot seat as a host so uh welcome tonight andy and uh for those of you that might not have heard andy you can jump on i think you've been on the most two recent episodes is that right andy
2: yeah, the past two since I took over from Hugh, not sure if that reputable spiel is uh, entirely accurate, but there was a lot. There's a lot less ratkin fur on me, so I'm at least better looking.
3: Actually, I didn't realise when I got you and Paul uh, on tonight that you both play lots of lots of whites. You know, we have got a lot of undead white filth on here tonight.
2: Yes. <laughs> well, there's a reason that we uh, we made it to masters, right?
3: Yeah, true, true. Carried by whites. Yeah.
2: Andy, do you want to give us a bit of a gaming background for yourself? I'm from Melbourne, so from sort of in the Victorian region for the Aussie Masters. And I moved down probably about six years ago and uh, through a friend from high school, met up with the Direct Misfire guys and that extended friend group who reintroduced me to Tabletop Wargaming, which had, fallen by the wayside uh for a a, probably almost a decade uh, after high school and we play quite a lot of different games so paul was saying that he's a one game man for me i've got a legion army uh play blood bowl a little bit uh and yeah sort of jump around a bit but but king's I always come back to Kings. It's definitely my main game. And the first time Benson gave me an intro game, I just fell in love straight away. It was so simple but so complex. You could easily pick up the rules but immediately also see the strategy involved and how things worked and how they could work better. Uh, So, yeah, from the competitive gaming point of view uh, I was immediately in love with with Kings it it plays so well as a tournament game as well and then from the hobby side I would I loved dioramas and all that sort of thing so it was just a match made in heaven really the fact that those guys were playing it as their main game as well was quite fortuitous. Oh, it's interesting that you like the design side. From memory, you're
3: an engineer, and not many too, too many engineers are very creative, right? So, <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's true. They lobotomize you at university for it. So, <laughs> uh, our last guest, you know, reportedly
3: we've had him on the show before, but, you know, I'd, I'd forgotten him. So, I don't know if that makes him forgettable or me just senile. Uh, but we've got Luke Schaefer, whose most most recent claim to fame is, you know, taking an all flying army to Convict and somehow getting tabled by a non shooting dwarves list. So and, and blackjacked. So, uh, well, welcome Luke. What have you been up to, mate?
4: Uh, thank you. Yeah, so losing to dwarves is one thing. Um, it, you know, in my defence, he had more shooting than me. It wasn't wasn't exactly non shooting, but I still <laughs> I still did. Um, <laughs> still did the bed <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, and uh, and sort of give it away to Tracy what have you been
3: up to in uh, into like the King scene recently because we've heard your origin story once before so what's been taking up your time
4: yeah so mostly just playing tournaments really um I only mm-hmm. get the occasional game in on the side bit a bit of hanging out in after dark and then um, jet setting around for tournaments so I've been down to clash been down to convict um, can't get down to castle assault um, which is happening uh in about a week i think um unfortunately i can't make it to that um but yeah briscon um locally as well and a few other minor tournaments so yeah just tournament gaming really yeah you're quite
3: the uh you're almost the made of of after dark you you're on there all the time i think you got to... Yeah, got a constant presence. You must have Discord <laughs> open on about sixty-three devices, I reckon.
4: You know, it's kind of handy that that it's during the day um, for me, and I'm from home. But um, yeah, not so much lately. Been been quite busy actually with a few work things. So, uh, as as much as I'd like lately, but yeah, like to hang out there with the boys.
3: I thought it was important we had you on because most of the queenslanders probably need to hear what the masters is about in audio form because so far it's only been in written form and i'm not sure many of them can read we wanted to make sure you were well represented here here tonight
4: luke we can read we have to be able to read all those bills at the dentist
3: (laughs) yeah 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 true yeah true you're good with with numbers
4: (laughs) yeah we'll slide into our hobby
3: update luke while we're on you do you want to do you want to give us an update on what you're working on at the moment?
4: Um, yeah, sure. So a million Snow Trolls, um, still plugging away. Um, I do have two Mega Armies, um, and as we know, there's an obscene number of Snow Trolls in those. So getting through those, uh, I did have to pack up the hobby room for a while to, uh, to make a move within the house, um, but that's all out again. And I've actually just um, gotten the firefight uh, itch again, so I've pulled out uh, the rest of my Marauders and hacking away at those as well. Nice. Is there much of a firefight scene locally? Yeah, there's there's quite a good scene, really. We had an eight player tournament at Brizcon, so we did have um, one one traveler for that. Um, everyone else was local, and you know that's that's even with. Most of the people that play Kings of War and Firefight playing in the Kings of War tournament. So we do have a pretty good scene. We've got regular game days that happen at different uh, stores and uh, whatnot around the place. So definitely growing. And that was going to be one of my plugs at the end. But I guess I'll say, hit me up if you play Firefight Dead Zone or you're interested in it and you're around Queensland. We've got a Facebook Messenger group. So um, feel free to hit me up and I can add you to that. What about yourself, Andy? What are you working on? I've finally managed to make
2: good inroads into that my Mantic Night Stalkers for your, your slow grow, actually. There was a lot of uh, excitement from me at the start of the year and then life got in the way and for the longest time I had a, a, a built display board and not much else because those things take a long time the first time you have to make one. <laughs> Starting with a
3: display board is an interesting move. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah, interesting <laughs> is a very polite terminology for it. Um, I, it's not something I would recommend, or will be doing again. But uh, I had I had the theme in my head, and it it needed a display board for it. So, a display board was built. I've undercoated everything, and I'm doing a slap chop method. So, dry brushing a few different grays up to white and then just contrast paints over the top of it and i'm absolutely loving it because it's such a quick method of painting for me that gets pretty reasonable results that for me i'm not a great painter and i'm certainly not a quick painter but i'm getting what i'm happy with quickly and i was painting last night and just thinking to myself I'm having the best time right now. Like I'm really yeah. enjoying painting, which doesn't happen often. <laughs> Speed helps, doesn't it? Absolutely. To, to be able yeah. to Achievement. in a night get uh, a, a troop of phantoms done for me was, was last night and, yeah, it just makes you feel good. It's a feel-good moment. So, yeah, that's my hobby. I have to admit I don't even know what bloody
3: Slap Chop is, although I've heard Rob say, I'm so old I know when Slap Chop was just called painting, you know, instead of a special technique. And what about yourself, Paul? What have you been up to?
1: I've basically f- finished my goblins that I started for the slow grow, P- put them in the Aussie and the countercharge slow grows, and I'm more nearly 3,000 points in, but st- uh, strangely enough, I've still got units to paint, so I'm either doing it very wrong or there's just lots of options. I don't know which one it is yet.
3: What's helping you get it done so quick? Because the other thing about it is that you've you've d- done plenty of infantry units, so what kind of method are you using?
1: I've, I've also been slap chopping um, the goblins. So for the normal rabble, I'm just doing a, a slap chop undercoat, which is like just really black and then a dry brush of grey and white, right, um, and contrast. So the th- that's where I stop for the rabble. I just give them a contrast colour and then everything else I'm giving – you know a couple of levels of highlights and some additional shading um and a little bit more work on their bases but the rabble just get a simple contrast color and that's really helped me pump them out so that the more interesting figures you know i I'll give a bit more attention to but the rabble just get the basic the basic um colors
3: they're looking really nice and for anyone that wants to kind of name the picture they're the ones that have the like the mushroom homes and stuff in the background on the bases
1: yeah, I've actually just started painting a Ratkin army, so I'm on my first unit um, of Ratkin, a Mantic army, which is um, some might say stupid to do another horde army in the same year. But I'm looking forward to trying rats. There's not a lot of them around at the moment in our in our scene, so um, it'd be good to get them on the table. Yeah, I think
3: they're a solid army, and you're waiting on some basing bits from me from one of your slow grow prizes. So yes, I did I did uh, I did pre order another printer tonight. Ah, I can't. I can't help impulse buying sometimes. Yep, that silly work credit card added to PayPal. Zero <laughs> dear, oh dear. Yeah,
1: I know nothing about three D printing other than
5: you know what it results in. So, and uh, what about you, Papa? Enough. What have you been up to? Uh, I need to add some more stuff to the salamanders. You know, I'm not filthy yeah. enough to have eight eight hordes of scorch wings, but I definitely <laughs> need a second phoenix. So I'm in the process of doing that. We had a lot of discussions on about balance on fanatics. It's not the army. It's the player.
3: It's on Fanatics claiming that like new armies, it's all about balance and everything's. It's, it's um, you know, <laughs> what do they call it? Power creep. It can't be power creep because each one's not getting progressively more powerful.
5: The data I have is that we had nine armies in the top 10 at Masters. The only one that was repeated was Ogres. In that room w- with the best players in the, in the United States, a fair level of parity.
3: Yeah, and I would argue that and when you see a few of those armies Uh, having high percentage of numbers uh, as in repetition, so say dwarves with eight or whatever there was. So that means a certain amount of people have determined that they thought it was at the top end of the power tier and still then there's only one in the top 10. So like I would say, you know, lots of things go into it, but I think we're looking at pretty good balance. Sure, some of the Northern Alliance, Night Stalker stuff wouldn't have been represented there with the changes. Correct. It's a new direction. Like it's not power creep. The Northern Alliance is not more powerful than the Night Stalker stuff. You know, power creep. Is when each release is getting more and more powerful, and that's not what is happening.
2: Yeah, we had we had a few pretty good players playing Nightstalkers at Convict that uh, both Luke and I attended recently, and they didn't win it. Uh, you know, they were. I think Luke, didn't you? You beat a couple of them. All of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, all three. <laughs> yeah, I thought Andrew,
3: you were going to say both Luke and I spanked them, but yeah. Anyway,
2: no, I actually I <laughs> wanted to. Wanted to play them, but uh, that's just not how the the rounds sorted themselves out. But I think everyone was looking at that thinking, oh, these Terrors are going to be unbeatable, and turns out they're not. All it takes is just playing against and, and that's not, not to take away from Luke, who's obviously a great player, um, to be able to beat other great players using them.
1: I think all of those Night Stalker lists were interesting in that they had at least three Titans each. Some of them had four, which in my opinion is probably a little bit overbalanced in terms of list construction.
4: The AG had five. Well there you go. Three void locers, a terror and a and a the giant guy, Shadowhawk.
1: Yeah, so that's a lot of points invested in three or four units, um, with which possibly don't do as much output as some of the other units that the Nightstalkers can take.
3: I totally agree with you. And yet unit strength one too. I think when you're putting that many points on single unit strength things, you end up lacking somewhere, right? And so if you've got a room full of good players, I think that can be found out, no matter how good the unit seems on paper. But I think they're building in weaknesses to most of the things, like the Terra, it's Speed 6. you know. So it's not it's not like it's the quickest thing, Def 4, so it's got regen. There's ways to take it out or tie it up or ignore it because it's Speed 6. Uh, ignore it. And then for myself, I finally got a little bit of painting done the other night, as you alluded to, Rob, Marlowe. I swear my life feels like a bloody nightmare. I feel like my home has been infected with the forces of the abyss recently. I had both the four-year-old and the 18-month-old with like influenza B at the same time and they were just putting the 18-month-old down. Her, uh, Her feet had hit the bed and it's like she'd been possessed by an arch fiend and Reeling around in circles. So that took up a fair bit of time. Uh, but I did get some paint. I'm working on two hordes of tyrants, or two hordes worth of tyrant models, I should say. And to add to the salamanders for the slow grow. So I think I've got two units of unblooded, few units of scorcherings, Gekatar lord. Yeah. Few things finished now, so uh, battle captain on rhinosaur. I'll, I, I'm confident by the end, I'll I'll make it there just to the 2,300 points. Although I don't tend to uh, build and paint to lists, I kind of just build and paint, uh, which I th- I think kind of seems what you do, Paul. You just kind of keep building and painting and building and painting, not necessarily to a specific list.
1: This is the way, the Goblin way. Yeah, always. I think Rob's got about five thousand points now, haven't you, Rob?
5: No, not quite that much. I, th- I think about three thousand points at goblins painted.
1: Yeah, but 2,500's hundred's
5: like Well, yeah, that's true. And, and my opponents like to just shoot them off the table before they get to combat. So,
3: well, shall we move on to our main topic? Uh, so, main topic tonight is talking all things Australian Masters. And so, the the group we have selected is tonight. Well, obviously, Rob's not Australian, but uh, the 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 four Australians on the cast. If we if we ended. Qualifying today would would all be uh, invited to attend masters anyway, and then uh, Luke is the Queensland representative. So we we have a committee that's made up of the the four states and territories in Australia that have reasonably sized playing groups, and um, and so Luke is the Queensland rep. So that's Queensland, New South Wales, the ACT, and Victoria. Uh, we had calls out for a rep from WA, but we didn't get anyone stand up. And then uh, myself, who uh, is the the chair. I think you're the chair of the US, aren't you, Rob? You like to keep that quiet. Yes. Uh, and but but my role is non-voting.
5: Well, I don't vote either, unless four four deadlock,
3: which usually does not happen. And you know that's a that's a new thing that we started this year. Uh, but we'll go into that a little bit later. Um, so it's probably worth touching on first how the Australian rankings work, given that that forms the basis of. Uh, most of the invitations to masters. So, uh, unlike in the U S it's, um, it's not region by region. It is a national based ranking system. And, and what happens is your, your point score is based on your top three events. And, uh, the algorithm that is used for scoring those events is based on the way the UK do it. Interesting. Actually, um, because our scene in terms of bias towards one-day events was more similar to theirs. And what we had a few years ago is, although that's slowly changing, is that the clash was basically the only two-dayer that got above 20 people. And so it was too severely affecting the the rankings. So people could just turn up to that and and, and waltz in. So we, we put a little bit of a bias back in the formula, just like the UK, towards the one-day events. But with the two-day events still having a reasonable enough waiting that they still basically form. If you attend two days, you you get re- pretty well rewarded if you do well. And uh, so, yeah, so your top top three ranks count. And we also had to do some tweaking this year because, uh, well, certainly locally, but then we thought just in case people were running ambush events. So we decided that for ambush events to count at all for rankings, there had to be, I think, a minimum of five games. I got the same penalty in inverted commas uh, as if it was a one-day event, no matter how many games it was. And uh, yeah, and and otherwise, for an event to count, I think the UK is minimum of ten. We had a minimum of eight. And but but otherwise, how it was scored within and what rankings are submitted is essentially up to the TO. So I know in the in the UK they have rules about. Uh, you know, what you can or can't do for something that's going to be submitted to to rankings. But uh, we, we essentially leave it to the TO. Is Does that seem pretty accurate, Luke?
4: Yeah, that's right. If the local tournament TO wants to put a heavier weighting towards, you know, soft scores like painting and roll that up into the, the total outcome, that's that's their prerogative, although that doesn't tend to be what Australian tournaments do, but that is an option.
3: No, and, and typically if there's painting scores, it's, it's more around... Um, encouraging that they're actually painted rather than you know uh, stratif- stratifying based on quality of painting too much uh, is, is, is mostly the way. Uh, well I think we're seeing it we're seeing it a little bit more and more um, but yeah we've, we've left that in there, in the hands of the tos whereas Rob that's quite different in the US isn't it you've got region by region they decide how they want to do it there's no
5: it's not a, it's not a national system. You're right. We have, I mean, Kings of Memphis here, 65% battle and soft scores. Buggier is only a third-year score is on the table. Two-thirds of your score is soft. It ranges the gamut. But I would say to what Luke was saying, we do kind of have a little bit of a consensus. Is it's mostly battle, right? That is usually the bulk of the score, but there's there's some more extreme examples. And and I should mention, there are some events here in the in the U.S. that we do have soft scores, but they they cap the score, right? They say, okay, there's 50 points worth of paint, but only 30 go to contributing to overall well, in those ones, there's no separation. Everybody gets the Mac Sports. Everybody gets the Mac Paint. So in those ones, even though we have a soft score, it's like what you said, Matt, uh, that you're really just trying to incentivize people to paint an army and not be a d- table. If you do those things, it really comes down to the battle.
3: I think it's probably a little important to preface that that in Australia, it's like Masters and Rankings to date in Kings of War hasn't been a heavy focus of the community. It's kind of like you, you play your tournaments, you go on and we've... We've kind of had this thing on this on the side and, uh, I mean, we'll talk about the idea of the bit of a change-up in, in Masters recently. It's interesting, out of the four of us, Luke's the only one who's played in a Masters, but Andy and Paul as probably, well, Andy, you're not really newer to the community, but, Paul, you certainly are like on the the newer end, say, compared to the other three of us. Would you have said you were overly aware of rankings or anything like that?
1: I was aware of rankings sort of from the beginning because it was on um, the Facebook pages and stuff and it was pretty well advertised. I actually qualified last year um, but couldn't go. Um, But rankings has never and sort of masters haven't really always haven't been a focus for me. Um, I'm more interested in, you know, getting involved in tournaments and and having fun, building new armies, that sort of stuff. I think uh, if I'd been you know, more focused on Masters, I would have just run the whole, the same list all year or the same army anyway, um, rather than chopping and changing like I have done.
3: Yeah, and I actually think probably we see that the the whole running a, a list that you might deem the most powerful for the, the whole year is is quite a, it's probably quite an unusual thing in Australia. It doesn't happen, doesn't happen a lot. Uh, so I think you know even most of our competitive players tend to change a bit i mean th- there's always been a bit of a concern and even with the change to the new that you know do if we highlight masters more and we make masters more of a thing that local tournaments become less pleasant uh, i certainly haven't really seen any evidence of that have i mean we've got reps from three different scenes here do you do you guys believe that that's a thing certainly haven't seen it in victoria yeah
4: yeah no yeah same queensland Pleasant and friendly,
1: yeah, of course.
3: It comes down to um, I know in different parts of the world, like using sports scores and things to to try and encourage that that gameplay. I think it's you know often I believe it's down the community to kind of encourage the kind of scene we want, right? So I mean, it doesn't mean it won't change in the future. That we might not see it become a little bit harder, but I, I don't think overall. I think you know some people play harder than others and i don't think that's actually changed with changing anything so far you know i think the same people play a bit harder same people do whatever they want to do yeah it's it's, it's the way i see it
4: and in fact in my experience here a, a poor sports rubric causes more issues with players than they're not having one at all we had a tournament where there was a sports rubric that wasn't you know that was opponent rated on your sheet of paper that you carried with you for the whole tournament. And it was, you know, the rubric was basically you rate what you want out of five. People were out of protest giving people threes as a standard thing just to... Out of protest of the form, you mean? Yep, yep. So that caused more problems by having it than we ever would have had if, if we if we didn't, so... Perhaps the the auto qualifiers for Masters
2: maybe are a little more competitive now. You mm-hmm. If you have a auto qualifier place on the line you really want to win that tournament uh but to be honest they're the big tournaments anyway you want to you want to be winning them I don't think it probably changes much
3: no and we'll certainly just touch on that a little bit more but I think the thing is is to I think you find that at the bigger tournaments the more competitive lists come out anyway because it's like it's it's harder to win I, I think you know it's obviously it's just an opinion it's not a fact yeah so it's so it's interesting but And then what we did change that was different to previously, though, that uh, previously if you won an auto-qualifier, you got straight into Masters, whereas uh, what we said is, well, really what we want is we want people participating in the community. So we still want them to attend at least the three tournaments to get their minimum three scores. Uh, So uh, they they still have to turn up. But, you know, if you're auto-qual, then you might turn up with the most fun army you can think of to something else and maybe that makes the, the other tournaments more... Um, you know, a better experience for, for everyone else.
2: That's exactly the position I'm in. I've only played two. So, technically, haven't qualified yet. I'm turning up to a one-dayer and yeah, we'll be, might might borrow Hughes rats or something and see how I go with them. Spoiler Spoiler alert, probably pretty badly. <laughs> Deploy backwards. Well, <laughs> I don't think I'll be that uh, that egregious with it but <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. you might you might try and be the uh, the only masters player to ever qualify with a last place score as one of your three <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i think we'll touch on how masters used to work and again luke you're the only one that who actually i think physically attended out of us a, a previous masters um but but basically we had uh what do we have four four big two days in australia as it currently stands which is briscon clash of kings australia um, the New South Wales changes a bit between Moab and this year it's Castle of instead and Convic in Victoria. And so each of those tournaments, because they were different regions, basically has always had what we call an auto qualifier. Um, so previously the winner of that would get an auto invite to Masters. If that winner already had an invite from a previous two-day tournament, then it would be passed down to the next placed player at the auto qualifying tournament. Uh, and then... Other than that, it was uh, – so you took those and then offered up to – I think he was offering up to 12 places to start with. Is that is that right, Luke? Yeah, that's right. It was a 12-person event. Yep. Yeah, the last one last year I think only got to 10 because there were a fair few knockbacks perhaps maybe or the, the others were local. And so this was um, this was all started up by Ken Ferris who we, we owe a lot to in terms of having a master's at all because uh, I doubt – before Ken, that like it would have even been up and running at all, and so uh, Ken took it all on his own back and was was running that. But it was essentially a twelve-player tournament, yeah. So you had the auto calls, then fill up the rest. If someone passed, then it would keep going down. I I think Ken had a limit on how low he'd go down the rankings, but I can't I can't for the life of me
4: remember what that that limit was that was 20th and also the previous master auto called as well
3: anyone got anything else that i've missed there I'm, I'm pretty sure that's how it was so i think if you took i mean most of the time the people that are winning the auto qualifiers are in the top 12 so realistically i think you you're essentially inviting the top six like 12 to 16 anyway um, and with with a few drops, or that's how it was, and then it was rotating between regions. Uh, so I think uh, Canberra had it a few years ago. Sydney had it one year. The last one was in Vic, and uh, which you know Ken Ken took home himself, you know, the master winning his own tournament. And then after that, uh, you know we just we just had this uh, discussion about well, what about a little bit more community involvement? How can we how can we boost this a little bit? A bit more and then in terms of how it played over the the day or two, oh, it was always one day wasn't it Luke so it was a four-day tournament in one day usually around the 2000 point mark
4: yeah four games around 2k so yeah there'd be a there'd be another friendly very friendly very awesome and fun one-day tournament the day before called fortunes that I'm hoping Ken is still going to do in some form because that's that was probably my favourite event of the year. It was just a heck of a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, I went to that because it was in Melbourne, so it was local for me. So I just popped out and did that, that as a one right? day. It was it was great. Yeah, the fortunes. Um, it's a bit a bit narrative. It's good versus evil. It it was fantastic.
3: I agree. I I, I hope he continues to do it uh, in in Sydney or or something. Just. Because I think if he get if he got he gets a chance to focus on that as well without having to worry about masters, I, I reckon he can take it to a next level even more. You know. He spends the time putting the the narrative into, you know, what happens if good or evil wins and there's all stories around it and he gets people to read it out. I think that's how Kings of Memphis used to be occasionally, wasn't it, Rob? You had to bring a narrative and read it out
5: and to be brawl. Uh, Blue City brawl a doubles event, and you had to have a story, and you had to have a reason that your army was fighting, and you you had to present it like like a play, you know. And we had people that did like uh, interpretive dance. So we'll leave it at that. It was it was quite the festivities. Yeah, that's great. And uh, so, as I alluded to, this year we moved towards
3: a, a committee. So uh, I think the UK and and the US both utilize a, a committee uh, rather than than single person to make it more. I guess, representative of the, the, uh, the, the wider community. And so what we basically went with is, like I'd mentioned before, a rep from each of the major centres um, and then, then a chair. And, and what we decided to do after and essentially voting on any changes and, and what we decided to do this year as a trial is go to something that I guess is somewhat more like the US model, Except the how you qualify is centralised. It's not in the hands of the regions, but that we move to a team like model in that you attend that you that each area gets three qualifiers. Uh, so Queensland, New South Wales, ACT, Victoria. So that takes us to twelve, and then we have a team of uh, what. Uh, the the wild cards or the rest. So if there's anyone who's got the three ranking tournaments that's from the smaller regions would form part of that team. And if not, then it's uh, the next ranked people that haven't made it into their own teams. And so for each team, it was made up of either someone who's auto-qualified and then your next ranked members. And basically, yeah, if your next ranked members decline, then it would go down to your next ranked member. And, and so essentially teams of three and then the previous master. So what we end up with for now is a tournament of 16 people, uh, upping it to five games over two days and adding a, a side a side event akin to the US of the the best and the rest so that if you're traveling with a team, what, what we're hoping is that you know, it promotes a little bit of collegiality and then might also draw other people in to the side event so that you're traveling with your groups of mates anyway, even if you're not playing at the actual masters. This represented a pretty significant change. It's interesting if like having done an article recently on if we we stopped uh, the rankings today, who would qualify? And there are a couple of people in the top 10, I think, to 15 who do miss out. But in the vast majority, you still have the top players qualifying. Andy and, and Paul, given, Luke, you're on the committee, Is maybe we get their opinions first. What, what do you guys think of this kind of change? Paul, do you want to start with you? I've
1: been a tournament gamer for ages, but there hasn't really ever been a Masters that I've been involved in for any of the games I've played. But what I've noticed is in King's Awards, it's usually the, the top players that are right up there um, regardless of how it's worked out. And, um, you know, there might be some people, probably me, <laughs> being that I'm <laughs> ranked, I think, out of the top 10, 12 or 13 or something, that, that miss out, um, that might have made it in sort of, a, you know, one, 1 to 16 or 1 to 14 or what have you. But I imagine as Masters grows and as the player base grows, like there'll just be more spaces available for masters. Like as there's plenty of people in the community and it's growing all the time. So, you know, I'm sure it's only a matter of time if the growth continues, it'll be sort of twenty people or twenty four people or what have you in the masters. Um so I'm not I'm not convinced that the way it works is that critical. I mean, it's it's only the first year and I'm sure it'll get tweaked as it goes along.
3: That's part of the reason for five games too. It gives us plenty of room for growth if the community grows without really having to change the format too much. What we had previously was there were quite a few knockbacks of, a, of attending. Now, I mean, that can come down to multiple factors and we'll discuss some of those later. But I think part of the team's things was would well, do you get more people if you, if you make them a team? And then, you know, we'll, we can obviously spice up some of the awards by making them more team-based. Um, Andy, where do you sit on it?
2: Yeah, I... Don't have a strong opinion either way. The old method of qualifying was fine. Um, obviously, the new method of qualifying, I'm a, I'm a real fan of because I've I'm on track to do so. <laughs> um, but I think if I uh, played as well as I did at the couple of tournaments, you know, under the last uh, ranking system, and and did well in a third tournament, I'd be up there anyway. Um, so. Sort of to echo what's already been said, uh, probably the top players who were qualifying under the old system are qualifying under the new system as well. There may be one or two who um, are in that top 16 but not getting a first round invite. But I'd be surprised if all 16 accept the invite. It's, you know, you got to, for most people, you got to travel and, um, yeah, it's, it, I think we have moved the weekend a bit earlier in the year. It used to be a really busy part- time of the year. You've moved it a bit earlier, so it's a bit more viable to attend. But
4: yeah, and the reality is, Andrew, that you you come from a state where there's traditionally been a lot of um, high-performing players that are willing to travel. So you know, it's probably you know due credit to yourself. It's 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 I think it's harder really a little bit to qualify. For masters as a Victorian, um, right now um, than it it maybe would have been in the past. So I think yeah, that's just proof you're doing even better.
2: Yeah, I mean I'm I'm relying on this uh, automatic qualification, which I sort of lucked into since I only came second. But luckily Tracy was the one who beat me, and he'd already wrapped his up at Clash of Kings. uh, although he does, he also has only played tw- two tournaments. He'll need to get along to another one, otherwise, uh, he won't make it. Even with that, um, a, a good result would probably push me up anyway.
4: Yeah, I don't think you need that auto because you you did what was it? Where were you at Clash? It was a decent result would have him qualifying
2: anyway. I was getting married for Clash, so I missed out Clash of Kings, which normally would be a total write-off for the for the. The year on ranking points, it used to be so important. So it was kind of, yeah, good in a way that uh, I won a one-dayer and then came second at Convict, which is, that's where my points have come from. You get a much better reward for,
3: like, below the podium at the big tournament, like as in at Clash, compared to the other two-dayers. But the, doing well at any two-dayer is still... Is still uh, it's way harder
2: than winning a one day. You can have three uh, good matchups, lucky games at a one dayer and and take it out and get the full points for it. I would say that coming yeah. eighth at Clash is probably a bigger achievement than than winning a one day.
3: Paul, you make an interesting point. You, we, like there, there is the chance that basically, so I think there were there were some people that that felt like that probably the basically the group for masters was the same every year but we probably could achieve the same kind of change up result just by going to the top 16 and and not doing teams at all because i think you, you you essentially end up with the top 20 and if we just if we just made the tournament bigger then yeah maybe you're right it doesn't actually matter how it's worked out you actually end up with a more diverse group but i think It'll be interesting to see if, if people like whatever we can turn out in terms of like the other aspects around around teams and, and whether that changes the feel of the event at
1: all. I was going to comment on that. I think the teams thing is really a really good and interesting thing to add. Often, even in local communities, you don't get to know um, the other players in the group that well, especially if you only sort of see them once every few months at a tournament or whatever. So an opportunity to build a team and to go away, you know, even if it is only to Canberra, is a good opportunity to you know, get to know players a bit better and to, to be part of that team. So I, I really think that is a, that's a really positive add to the Masters. Not that I played in the last one, but having seen what happens in, in the US, it, it seems to be a really core cool part of that Masters environment and something I think would be really good to have here
4: or will be really good to have here. Yeah, it really helps to have emotional support when you're heading to Canberra.
5: but Paul you bring up a good point you know in the US the teams of side of it or we call them regions but is a very big thing right so the southeast team they get together before the event and they're practicing and they're, 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 they're encouraging each other there's certainly some bonding that goes on
4: don't forget part of the reasoning for the team was that that out of region uh, out of you know out of typical region wildcard team trying to bring the community wider broaden the community and let and let people have have something to build their local communities towards outside of those main um, player centers that we've already got.
3: Yeah it's a, it's a very good point. Do, do you have any comments on like we've got some questions from you later Rob but any comments on 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 like what we've just said about how that works? Uh, what was
5: the impetus for the change?
3: I don't think there was like a, a one clear reason. i th- I think there there were a few there were a few knockbacks happening and and we just kind of thought, well what what happens if we change this up? As Luke said, you know, um the feeling that um Ken had done an amazing job, but when you kind of when you narrow it to one person, it like it has that potential to be a little bit less esque. whereas and and the masters really, in my not so humble opinion, should be a, like a, a representation of the community as a whole, and because even and like like one person's opinion aside, it, it will even bias towards um, perhaps how your local region plays the game. You know, whereas uh, what you get when you've got a committee is you get an opportunity for consensus on how you think that the game should be played at masters and what you think where you think the goalpost should be. Uh, so I, I think that was the main reason. Uh, do you have anything to add there, Luke?
4: No, that's exactly right. Um, I think it all started with our local troublemaker, Dave Fanning, putting up a Facebook post asking about the structure of the Masters <laughs> and it all kind of steamrolled from there. just want to reiterate the massive credit and thanks to to Ken for what he's done, dragged it through, you know, from one side of COVID to the other, I think, and um, and really sort of drove that um, single-handedly Um and the, the changes I think that, that have come into place is not not at all to discredit what, what has happened Correct. in the past help sort of build that into the future. Very disappointed Ken's not part of part of the, the, the committee. Um, he, he decided to take the opportunity to take a step back, which is which is a loss for the for the community in a way, but hopefully he'll find his way back in eventually.
5: You have a big challenge, right? How do you engage all the different voices because they don't always agree. they don't always speak at the same level. So it's uh it's very it's I mean we're in the US it's very difficult. And one of the things that I think is interesting about your approach, it feels like you guys have done a pretty good job of balancing representation across the country versus representation from areas that have very strong communities. I don't know, is travel cheap in Australia? No, it's not cheap and
3: and it's huge with only about 5 people in it. So like it's you know comparatively. So it's just uh know there's not a lot along the way when you're traveling places uh yeah and very um i mean it's probably similar in the states but like just heavily biased towards the coastal areas right is is the population base so it, it is a it is a huge country and so it is it does require people being willing to travel yeah i guess i guess on that it's in terms of the the different regions in Australia, I'd say, yeah, Victoria probably gets hurt a little bit the most. They probably have the slightly bigger playing group. But otherwise, I think we've got fairly equitable distributions in the different areas in terms of number of available players. But then you might, like Luke mentioned, Victoria, whilst being a bit bigger, probably might also have a higher percentage of high-quality players. So they get probably punished slightly. The way the committee works is basically is we have those reps from those centres, and whilst the exact discussions of the committees aren't necessarily privy to the wider communities, it's an expectation that that person is being representative of their community, and they might, and that they will ask the opinions of the community, and that if we're getting something that seems quite obviously one person's opinion, we might say, "Have you checked with the community?" Um, so. It, it, it that they are
5: meant to be, and they're voted for by their community, which I think is how the U.S. works, right, Rob? The masters, like all those things, have to be decided on and voted on, and before we we vote, the expectation is that the regions discuss it amongst themselves, or more likely, publicly on Facebook. And even within region, you're not going to get you, you're not going to get um, a consensus in, in all cases. From what we've talked about so far, Paul, Paul, and Andy, is it is there anything that like
3: you guys think would be really good to include in Masters that kind of hasn't been
5: alluded to?
1: You stumped them. You know, I, I want to know when you're going to let Kiwis in. Well, I was actually going to say, I, I don't know any, any Canadian players over here, so uh, it's looking good for an, an Aussie win.
3: Mate, I'm not sure about the quality of the US, seriously. Like, Tracy and Ken waltz over to a tournament, jet lagged, basically not practice a game and can kind of... You know, come in the top 10. What are you lot doing over there? Well, that's a reflection of the Mid-Atlantic. Yeah, let a Canadian win the US Masters. And do you know what I find really hilarious about that, Rob, is like I think in our own group and in some other groups, we would literally had the talk this year, you know, shouldn't you guys be renaming it the North American Masters because of some of your northern regions? And then the Canadian
5: comes in and wins. Again, it's the autonomy of the regions, two regions in particular, Pacific Northwest and the Northeast. If Canadians come and make their team, they're there. I'm expecting next year that whoever's in like that the committee will be voting that yeah have to have an American birth
3: certificate. <laughs> <laughs> That's essentially how it's going to run. We've we've made a fair few decisions. Probably the most contentious decisions are yet to come. But yeah, we know five days, twenty three hundred points from memory. Sorry, five days, five games over two days, twenty three hundred points. Uh, all all lists and scenarios and things will be published in some form. Uh there'll be a side event. And but yeah, probably in terms of contentious is what I allude to is that we're yet to have the hobby discussion, but we'll have to have that soon so we can get the pack out.
5: You know, the one thing you guys don't have to worry about is you couldn't use anything but blackjack because it would be a slap to your nationalist face, right? Like you gotta yeah. use blackjack. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We have already agreed on blackjack, so why would you
3: use anything else? Crazy talk. <laughs> The master
5: in the united states there are no soft scores
3: so yeah i like sure it's not part of the, the the points for the winner but like how do you ensure that the armies turning up are what you wanted to be on the table then appropriate models xyz
5: what we want is we want armies that are representative of what they're playing there's no restrictions about you know 3d printed or any of that stuff just bring a model that looks representative of what you're playing so if someone doesn't do that what do you boot them from the masters we have struggled through this process the same way you will struggle through this process. And we came up with some clear lines of demarcation that you just need to use a unit and an army and uh, all your models need to represent, you know, what you're playing. And if you're playing salamanders, it should look like salamanders, right? Regardless of the model range you use. Do you insist that all the models are painted? You have to have a painted army,
4: yeah. That's interesting to think of because we'd always thought about like a rubric. We've been, you know, tossing out rubrics that maybe, you know, just ensure it. But I mean- it could even just be a rule, right? Like you don't play with it if it's not painted and representative. And then it's up to you.
5: Have it as a gate. The gate is you got to have a painted army and maybe sportsmanship is uh, you judge them on the table, right? And, and it, but it's very, the, the, the bar is set low because the expectation is everybody's going to be able to reach that threshold so that you don't have what we didn't want to have is sports or paint be the deciding factor on who's the U.S. master, because those are so subjective. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, 100%. Uh.
3: To- to- totally,
5: totally agree with that.
3: Um, I think you guys do benefit, though, from, like like Paul said, you know, you guys seem to have a lot of people that will play their Masters Army all year, right, for the entirety. And because you have so many tournaments that do weight paint, you end up with, you know, this beautiful array of armies for the Masters anyway.
5: Interesting comment, because, yes, even though the Masters is only about what's on the table, to get there... Whatever region you're in, you're probably going to have to have a, uh, you know, uh, you're not going to finger paint an army and probably make the team. (laughs) Most other tournaments have some form of paint scoring. I think the expectation is if you have a tabletop army and you win all your games, you're going to win the events, regardless of the events. I mean, that was probably going
3: to be my suggestion to the group that it was pretty light like that. You know, it's. uh, I know you've always enjoyed my light touch, Paul. So thanks for that, mate. Just a slight caress.
5: (laughs) <laughs> he's always quick with the bomb pat yeah yeah
3: exactly I, I don't think there'd been any suggestion that we should like make it a like a stratified painting score in terms of like who's the best painter that's for sure so i do agree that if we want to boost the painting of what's attending that that has some value somewhere but um that it's for the masters it's not in
5: the overall score well and to be fair if you guys are only bringing 16 players the impact is maybe not as Consequential. You're taking the best 16 players from across the country. My guess is they all have pretty well-painted armies. That's that's my guess. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's reasonably
3: true. And you look in the first, like we say 16 and like comparatively, like so far this year, we've only had 121 players in tournaments. Like that's the size of the tournament going community. So um we're we're not talking about a huge community. So the top 16
5: is like in terms of increasing participation, one of the things that our masters you know, one of the outcomes we like to have is if you put it in an area that maybe has a mid-sized community, you'd you like to give them a shot in the arm. Um, my one suggestion for, you know, Masters Committee to consider
2: is a automatic qualifier to anyone from Western Australia who attends three tournaments on the East Coast. If you've put in that much dedication, I don't care if you've come last every single time, you deserve a spot at the Masters because it's such a mission for those guys to get over.
3: <laughs> well, actually, on the current rules, they would. They would. So if they attended three tournaments, it wouldn't matter if they were ranked fifty. We we haven't got a bottom cutoff. On the current rules, they would automatically get on the rest team. Um, because then the wild cards only kick in if there's no rest players. Um oh Rob, we never answered the like the New Zealand question. It was discussed, but we figured that we'd see how this goes this year and then we can potentially um, you know, include a few sheep shaggers the year after if we need to. It's a good point, Andrew. And that was that was part of the point where like, well, we've got these communities that are elsewhere but and so what if they run, if they just run three tournaments that are at least eight strong and, you know, essentially someone would get on that team, you know, and and if, if we saw, you know, then it would be a point of discussion if we saw, you know, three people who have, you know, ranks of 60 to 100, you know, qualifying, then that might become a problem. But we, we figured that that Wouldn't become a problem. The travel's interesting, Rob. Yeah, don't start this age old bloody another Facebook numpty question of, oh, we travel so far here and then in the UK, oh, I won't go more than half an hour. (laughs) I think population density helps travel. Yeah, so that you will often get more people traveling because you naturally have larger populations. So a certain portion of those will travel. Whereas I think when you have less players playing, the dropouts hurt more. So as soon as you've got a couple of people, who can't go, um, it it hurts the field a lot more. So, unfortunately, I don't see it as much as I wouldn't mind going to Perth for a tournament. I don't see that being a thing. And we picked Canberra this year basically on seeing what what happens when we basically centralise it again to the East Coast players and and somewhere that's got reasonably accessible flights, and then we'll go from there.
4: Yeah, it'd be nice if Adrian can make it over um, from from Perth, um, but... Unfortunately, I don't think we'd get 16 people willing to fly that far (laughs) over that way. Yeah, we're talking the better part of
3: what, three and a half thousand kilometers, whatever that is in miles. So it takes a long time.
5: Right now, you guys are putting it in Canberra, but is there any talk where next year is? Is there any discussion about how you're going to move it? That was a contentious thing for us at the beginning. So you want to always have it in your backyard, but at the same time, you want it to be equitable for the people that have to travel. You know, we only have two more regions left. And at that point we will have a, had it in every, every region. Maybe that's a question for next year after you've had one under your belt. And it's like, well, how do you decide the next one?
4: And I think that was the call just to, just to see how this goes. And then we can talk about that next year. I mean, you know, it, it objectively, it does make sense to keep it somewhat centralized because that makes it more accessible to the most players. However, you know, when I think about hosting it in Brisbane, well, not only does that make sense from the perspective that it's the nicest city in Australia, so why not? <laughs> but also, you know, like last year, we had quite a few players that could have qualified, well, that did qualify essentially, even through the pass downs and could have attended, but the travel to Melbourne was just too much uh, for one reason or another, so, so they couldn't attend. So we'd, we'd probably get a better participation from our, you know, core top players if it was in our city tournament was better for that though so anyway (laughs) (laughs) more teeth per capita yeah in reality
2: it's it's one flight you know like if i'm flying from melbourne to canberra or melbourne to brisbane it's not that much further i still got to get on a plane
4: however many of our players don't fly they they, like if there's if they go to a tournament in sydney or or canberra they'll they'll drive and how far of a drive is that uh a day if it was Brisbane to Sydney, what that's that's a good eight
3: hours, and then to get get to Canberra, you're going up to eleven or twelve.
4: No, it's it's a twelve it's a twelve to fourteen hour drive.
1: But I mean, Melbourne to to Brisbane would be what twenty four hours or twenty two hours.
4: Yeah, that's a long drive. It's a long two days, um, with a pleasant stopover in parks. If anyone's going to do the drive themselves, or a you know lazier three day.
3: What is really interesting about our sixteen qualifiers so far is that neither ken the previous master grant who won bruce con andy the auto qualifier for um convict and tracy who auto qualified from clash have played their three yet ken doesn't have to they're the only their previous masters the only one we accept from the three three game rule but then three of the four or well, when the fourth hasn't run yet but so the the three auto qualifiers so far so far haven't played three tournaments in the year. So Andy shouldn't have too much trouble getting that third game under his belt, Not neither should Tracy. But it is interesting at this point of the year. I don't I don't think that would be typical of previous years. And so like yeah, we've got Grant in Queensland, and then Luke yourself, and then who who was the third? Oh, Clint, who's a, a stalwart of the of the team uh, who would qualify for Queensland in Victoria. We have. Uh, Stephen Tuck who's also a former master uh, Damien Madigan who plays in the shed and then you yourself Andy uh, New South Wales is Tracy uh, Max Kay who's qualified mostly with his halflings yep and yourself Paul uh who I think yeah Paul when I had a look you've played your three qualifiers are all different armies so that's uh that's good to see it's, it's not just your all white army
1: well you've got to give the whites a break they can't be uh can't be off the bench all the time
5: yeah, you got to make sure they're all white. Oh, God. We have pockets in this U.S. that are very, uh, like, very shooty heavy. Mm. Is it because you guys have self-restraint? What, what is it? I'm uh, I'm saying that and I'm looking at Luke, so I know the answer is no. <laughs> you know, just talk to me a little bit about how, how you guys regulate bringing, air quote, balance lists. Luke's been corrupted by After Dark. That's the
4: problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> That's not the direction that it goes in, I don't think. Right.
2: <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on that, Andy? I don't see even the worst lists in Australia aren't awful spam or too skewed. Maybe one pops up here and there, but quite often everyone's just playing something that's strong but reasonably balanced. I think because that's the lists that win.
3: My theory is that our best players in the country are always scenario players, and they're not list players. So, and I think you'll see that, like often at the at the Masters, it'll be the ones like the ones that have never ma- won Masters are probably more heavily relying on their list, whereas the ultimate scenario players are the, the ones that that tend to win and, and win the bigger tournaments. And so, I think we see less of that skew um, because it comes with risk of of, of not winning. Yeah, particularly at the bigger tournaments. Like what what do you reckon, Paul?
1: I, I don't know, this is my honest answer. I think it's a little bit of people play what they've got as well. So not everyone's got eight hordes of scorch wings or three greater air elementals or you know, whatever the latest hotness is. You know, people rock up with what they want to use or what they have fun playing with.
3: I certainly know that in our local hobby group, like particularly through version two, we were playing way worse lists in the shed than we would take to a tournament, you know, and and I think part of it was that we wanted to encourage growth in the community so we didn't want people to have awful games. Um, part of it was you would see some of those lists make it out of their shed but they're by players who, you know, you were pretty much, they were good to play against or they were guaranteed to make a mistake so you didn't worry too much. Yeah. But ultimately that the, the, the list wouldn't win. So... Yeah. Uh, do, do you have thoughts, Luke?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think um, what you said about, you know, scenario play and balance lists is pretty bang on. I'm probably one of the ones that tends to play some of the more out there lists. Um, but, you know, uh, I I do personally stop short um, of eight Horses Scorch Wings, but I'm also not not averse to it. Uh, I think if it's valid <laughs> and you want to play it, you, you go for it. Um, I think really is... What I've noticed in, in in our scene of Brisbane, because we're we're quite good, you know, there might be a bit of jovial sort of you know, shoulder um, barging at, at someone's list, you know, going oh that's that's filthy, but it's always more of a, you know, in more of a jovial sort of um, fun way. I just think our players don't want to play those lists. Like people will play what they want to play, but they don't. That's not the kind of list they want to play. They don't want to play really heavy shooting. That's not what they find fun. Um, so. You know, they just they play more balanced lists or infantry hordes or you know, you know. There's the few Alohi armies here and there, but that's kind of about as far as it goes. I definitely think that's changed over time.
3: Queensland did have the reputation of being like always hard as nails lists for a while. I, I don't think it quite has that anymore.
4: They're still hard. They're just
3: balanced. They're just balanced. Yeah, and I think, and I certainly know for a fact. Like I said, you know, in in our region, it was we always found, I don't know, it was about having this feeling that you're custodians for growth, I guess, in the game. And I certainly know it was the same in Victoria. Like I know for a fact, you know, that that Mike has stepped in on more than one occasion to say, you know, I'm not keen for you to bring that again or I'm not keen for you to bring that at all when he knows there's a lot of new players coming to a one-dayer. And, and so I think, I think about just that. Because our community is small, we don't want to lose anyone, you know. So we don't want to lose anyone to an awful, awful game that just feels like you were
5: smashed off the table because of someone's list rather than because of their good play. There's a distinction when people complain about Scorchwings. You know, it, it, is it a question of balance, or is it just not fun to play against? Mm. Yes, it's probably still good, too good for the points, and they will correct it. But it didn't win the Masters. It, but we also had a player with five or six hordes and came in the bottom. So like it still comes down to you know the, the matchups the scenario all that but the, the bigger question I think you guys are you hit on is that is it fun to play against? And yep. in the masters for us it doesn't re- that's not a question that really matters because all those players look at those kind of armies as a big challenge. You know Alex Chavez was chomping at the bit when he knew he was playing Jeff Reddick against eight hordes. He's like, "Yeah, mm. it's going to be tough, but I'm excited about the opportunity to showcase what I can do." And it was a close loss. Mm. However, in other regular events, that question of, is it fun to play against? 100% matters. Some of those lists, they are skew lists. At a mid table, it can really separate players of equal skill at the lower levels that don't know how to handle it. The argument is, am I losing because I'm playing against a tough list? But once you get better, once you get the reps in, you'll learn to play against it. But, you know, Matt, you, you said it like it could inhibit growth.
3: I certainly side with Luke, like I and Alex, in that regard. It doesn't matter the tournament for me. If I if someone plays a spam list, like I like the challenge, but I think it's about that. It's about the newer player, right? The player that's finding their way. Um, sure, the TO could dodgy their matchups if they want, but then you'll get the person who's pissed for, about that.
5: In the end of the day, the good players just if they just play what they want, you know, the good players will be fine. The good players don't need the list to do the lifting for them. You know, if you look at our scores from U.S. Masters, it was a lot of close ones, right? A lot of close ones and a lot of draws, and that's because they all know how to play the scenario.
3: And I think things can look good on paper, like people were complaining about the amount of dwarves you guys were running. That was my only prediction for Masters, was that a dwarf list would not win because, like, yes, they're resilient, but they're not going to put out enough hurt to win a tournament like the Masters.
5: Well, we're playing blackjack. The attrition score matters. Yeah. Fun to hear you guys talk though, because it, it's you know you guys are what we were doing a few years ago, and it's it's interesting to see you guys evolve and continue to grow. And it'll be interesting to come to next year. What you've had one in your belt, and 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 now Perth is like, hey, we want to host it, and you're like, oh god. And so how how you work through that, right? And 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 make it equitable so that everybody's voice is heard. Um, I mean, the big thing for us the, next year. I don't know if you guys have crossed this bridge. Are you going to have it a standalone event? Up to this point, have never put it in the convention. Next year, it's at NOVA, the big convention on the East Coast. One of the reasons why we're doing it, number one, is is you have bodies come by to see the game. You're not showcasing the game when we're in Nashville and we're in a hotel by ourselves. No one's walking by and saying, oh, look at this game I should play. But when you have three or four thousand people at NOVA playing 40K, hey, what is this game? What's going on here? I don't know. Have you guys thought about that?
3: There's not really enough tabletop conventions in Australia. Okay. I mean, um, Clash, we went the opposite. We went off site. I mean, originally that was because of the COVID restrictions, but then the venue's just been better. Actually, for you guys, you are like you said to me, Rob, by putting it Nova too, it actually makes it somewhat cheaper. It's the opposite for us.
5: Yeah. I mean, the, the actual cost of the event might be more expensive because you're paying for a convention, but the flights and the hotels. Yeah, got it. I mean, my flight to Seattle was $800. Now, part of that was COVID, right? But a flight to DC is a couple hundred bucks.
3: I totally see the argument, though, about oh, ice. Like, it's certainly, it's, it's something that I'm not, um, you know, I'm not, not unaware of. Also different, I guess, with size of convention. But I just know for all the years we had Clash of Kings at CanCon, we've barely picked up a soul, you know. And I, and I think because then in terms of fantasy gaming, you're just drastically overwhelmed by numbers playing other bigger games from bigger companies. Are you guys planning to keep it in the same time period? An answer we don't really know except that it's the time period that theoretically makes the most sense
5: the time of year for us was in february that that kind of knocked out school teachers for example we're in the summer now but maybe at some point it goes back to the 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 winter just to be equitable to give people of different occupations
4: opportunities to play this year we've actually um, brought it forward I think a couple of weeks um, from where it was. So from early December to mid November, that's actually posed a new problem, um, which is that we've traditionally had the clash pack um, available um, to play at masters. And now we're kind of looking at that and thinking, you know, depending on when it drops down, we don't know that the date yet. So it makes it really hard to make a call. And in fact, um, you know, that, that's always actually been I think one of the factors as to why people maybe tend to play not the same army all year just to play it at Masters and that's because Clash will drop and that will potentially change the meta entirely. Um, and and the people that tend to do well and qualify and then do well at Masters tend to be the people that play multiple armies and can pick up anything. Um, so you know, with with one month's notice they can pick up any, any army they've already got access to and Form a list from from the new clash pack and maybe gain an edge.
2: That totally reminds me. Uh, previous masters, the first round you swapped armies. Are we doing that this year? Uh, I, don't, uh. I don't.
3: I don't think we've voted on it. I don't think, I don't think we've. And
2: I,
5: it's it's certainly on the table. I don't think we've voted on it. Well, you know what? You just answered my question, Andrew. Why people don't bring the filth? Because if you got to play against it, yeah. Part of it was, and
3: so first round was also seated the way it used to run. Which again, that hasn't fully been decided. I, I think it's unlikely it will be seeded, given that it's in teams. But it would be—it's—it's it's most likely that teams won't play each other first round.
4: There's definitely support for it in in the committee, um, and in the community. Um, so that's you know there there is support for it. Um, we just I guess don't know whether there's more support for it uh, or against it. And and with the seeding, actually, that that. Again, hasn't been decided as well. Mm. One thing I'd tabled was potentially using um, the the placement of the regions against each other to seed, so that you seed the regions against each other round one, which stops um, the the in region games in round one, but maybe throws a bit more out there in terms of the, the the region team nature. Yeah, yeah. So essentially,
3: you got like states of origin across the board. Around yeah. one. It could also yeah. be
5: a terrible idea,
4: but it's an idea.
5: With only 16 players, theoretically the skill gap between the top player and number 16 is maybe less than, than maybe we have from 1
4: to 64. Yeah, I don't know.
5: That's something that over the years has went down for us.
4: I mean, someone's got to lose, and, and in those big events, someone's going to lose all their games, right? Like, so... <laughs> yeah. Somebody's got to finish 64th in the US. There's
2: no easy games. You know, looking at the... The list that we've got going or even the list that aren't making it I'm like I don't want to play them that's a hard game I've never beaten that person great <laughs> I'm uh I'm making up numbers uh, potentially this year but hopefully not
3: uh, I, I think what what is good is uh, obviously the community has changed somewhat because there's certainly more variety in the names that are at the top this year than what there's been previously and I think there's a little bit of there's multiple variables there. I think some o- older hands haven't played quite as much, and then uh, other newer recruits are playing a little bit more, but there's certainly more variety in the names. But so, so, so that's a good thing.
5: Once you guys get the first one in this new format under your belt, mm. you circle back and you look and see how things went and see how you can improve. I'm going to bloody guarantee you one thing, though, Robert. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not going to be a New Zealander winning it. No, <laughs> no, yeah, there won't be a New
3: Zealander winning it. Right? That's that's for sure. And there is not going to be the bloody drama that there is constantly at the US and the UK Masters. This is going to be the least dramatic Masters in the world. I'll guarantee it. It'll be so smooth, you know. it won't be any scoring drama.
4: It's because we'll only have 16 people that can complain about things instead of 64.
3: Exactly. And when they're all within arm's reach, they're quite easy to silence. <laughs>
5: <laughs> uh, how many players are you expecting for best of the rest or what, what do you guys call, you guys have a name for it yet the 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 non-invitational I, I think best of the rest in
3: in the main will essentially function as a local tournament you know I, I don't i'm not sure how many people will travel one of the reasons for moving the tournament a bit earlier in november was because that is unusual to have because you will have a lot of people who travel for that who would typically travel for Clash of Kings in later January. So we didn't want to have two travelling so close together as well. So that now essentially puts them two and a half months apart. Yeah, I, I think it'll essentially function as a as a local tournament. So we'll just have to see how it goes. In the end, it might swing to something in the future more like a a one day if it does end up mostly being local players.
5: It's important to have the second tournament on the side because that's what feeds. I don't know if you guys, but in the US, we have travel issues and people don't make it, right? Like everybody wants to be there, but sometimes things happen. And it's nice to have quality players ready and waiting.
3: I think it fits nicely with the teams thing as well. Like you guys have the with the regions. It means that people who aren't necessarily playing in the Masters can still go along with their team.
5: But your state would be improved if you don't play, right? Probably. It's the inverse effect of having Adam Ballard run the event.
3: So uh, if I if I qualify, I don't get the uplift of Clash of Kings. So I'm I'm actually the most legitimate player there.
4: Well, there's only like four players in Canberra. So I think you're in for a shot. Yeah, yeah. Top three.
3: Yeah, Canberra probably has benefited most so far from the jump. Although the, the they're still all top 15, maybe. Still definitely top 20. So... And So we'll move on to shout-outs. Paul, you got anything you want to shout-out, mate? Uh,
1: Castle Assaults on this weekend. I just wanted to shout-out to uh, Michael, who's done all the legwork and I, I don't know um, but has had to withdraw, and to shout-out to Nick for taking it on um, and to be the TO for, the, for next weekend. So thanks to both of those guys.
3: Yeah, I think uh, Clarkey deserves a bit of a shout-out. He's a, a little bit unwell and he's... You know, been a big contributor to our community over time. So he's handed over, but he's done a lot of the legwork for Castle Assault
2: still. Andy, you got anything, mate? Liked hearing me on this. Listen to Direct Misfire as well. Once you've got through all 756 uh, counter-charge <laughs> US Masters <laughs> podcasts. And I don't mean that in a negative sense. I've enjoyed every one of them. Mm. But yeah, you can also hear me and uh, Selick and over on Direct Misfire as well.
3: Yeah, if you want to throw someone else a bone.
4: (laughs) It's my favorite podcast. Loki? Yeah, I've got a few. So for anyone listening from the sunny state of Queensland, we've got uh, Comics Plus at Annerley having a Kings of War Games Day, Saturday 26th of August, 9 a.m. to four p.m. Point Games at Ipswich runs game nights for Kings of War and Firefight, so check them out if you're around there. Spring Con is on again this year. Um, It's going to be October 7th. There's tournaments, Kings of War and a bunch of other gaming systems. So check that out on Kings of War Australia page. Or for um, any of that, um, you can check out the Team Queensland Facebook page um, or hit me up directly if you can find me somewhere on Facebook or in the socials. Um, And also contact me if you're in Queensland and want to play Firefighter Dead Zone because we've got a pretty good growing scene and I can add you to the local group. Or Discord if you want to find him. It's probably the easiest yeah, way ever present. Probably be on Discord. <laughs> I, do, I do have uh, I do a Luke in, in brackets in my name on the Counter-Charge Discord, so you can find me that way.
5: Robbie P? Just thanks to the Rules Committee. You know, they're doing a great job keeping things in balance. They they don't always get the praise they deserve. They're doing great work, and I look forward to Clash of Kings because I think some of the complaints that we've been getting about Frost Claws being overpowered, which they're not. Totally not. It'll all kind of make more sense when they're in the context of all the other changes Big shout out to Americans on the team with Felix Britton and Matt. They're doing a great job and uh, I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to Twilight King army and the clash of Kings coming up. So,
3: but none of them are from
0: Omaha.
5: They're not from Omaha. No, no. So I'll shout out
3: the ongoing Australian slow grow challenge and the Countercharge slow grow challenges. Uh, so keep participating with your Mantic stuff. Uh, I'm quite behind and needing to do our, month six draw we're up to month six which must mean we haven't got long left uh for the australian one and uh yeah we'll keep an eye out for packs for things like the masters and the best of the rest and also for clash of kings that, that probably won't be too far away because the dates for cancon have been announced and we'll always time it at a similar time so it is i think Public holiday is timed with a Friday this year. So it's, I think, the 25th, 26th, 27th, something like that, the Friday to Sunday. Uh, So we'll have to decide which days are running. I'm leaning towards the Friday, Saturday, so that people have chance of the con on the third day if they want. Um, But, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see about that. So keep your eyes peeled for that because tickets will go on sale. Uh, and then that's all I've got. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight, guys. Giving us an insight into the Australian Masters scene. Thanks, Rob, for you know stopping your beauty sleep early and getting up and joining us with your your ripping questions. Uh, and to you guys giving up a giving up your nights to to give us your thoughts. Uh, Paul, would you like to take us out?
1: Until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks
0: for listening, and we'll see you next time on. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.